This podcast is a product of Griffin Theatre Company, Sydney's home of new writing, and was produced by The Prop, a website dedicated to responding to theatre in Sydney with a strong focus on new writing. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded on the 13th of September 2018 at Griffin Theatre Company when Nick Coyle, Phil Spencer and Sheridan Harbridge sat down for a little chat. What follows is a discussion about comedy and theatre in which Nick, Phil and Sheridan speak about their experience as performers, writers, purveyors and devourers of comedy. My name's Nick Coyle. I'm the writer of Griffin's new production, The Feather in the Web. My name's Phil Spencer. I'm artistic associate at Griffin Theatre and the writer of The Smallest Hour by me and Susie Yusuf. My name is Sheridan Harbridge, star of Stage and Stage. Um, a comedy writer as well. I'm performing in Calamity Jane at Belvoir right now. What's good about writing comedy and performing it regularly is that unlike when you write a play that somebody may put on in a year or two's time, you are continually having a relationship with your audience and your writing. And so for me, it's a really useful practice to try and gig um, in storytelling or stand-up contexts as regularly as I can fit in around having a young family because it keeps you sharp and, and reminds you uh, what it is about the way you think about the world or what you want to say about it or how you want to phrase things or uh, why the word... Uh, you know, porcupine is inherently funny. Uh, you, there's a kind of, you know, you're running a marathon with that and, and, and you're regularly touching base with an audience to see if what's going on in your brain is indeed chuckle-worthy or not. And so I think that the, the value of that and how that comes to bear on my sort of other theatre writing is I trust my comedy instincts a bit. And I know when I think something is funny and other people don't, it's probably better not to put that one in the play. I have a rule that you can have one joke in the play that's just for you. And that you willfully enjoy other people not enjoying or getting, and the kind of dead air that fills it afterwards is the sound of your smugness. It's almost yes. annoying when they do laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I have relentlessly pilfered from um, stand-up techniques to develop my own solo work, which is more comedy cabaret or musical comedy. Um, and that... It, that kind of came from when I went to Edinburgh Fringe and just failed night after night in front of audiences. Though not every night. So it would sort of be, um, you know, maybe two nights a week the show would just go off and I would go, OK, I'm back. I've got my rhythm. This is how it's going to go. And then the next night just completely die because the wrong, you know, people who were not interested in cabaret whatsoever were coming along to see it and, you know, they would answer their phone in the audience and there was a little bit of Yeah, me. that's rubbish. Yeah. It's rubbish. I, I mean, we'll stay to the end because we bought tickets. And at one time, there was actually a line in the show where I'd say, this isn't going very well, is it? Because the whole concept of the show was it was falling apart and someone one night went, no. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it was good. And the concept of the show was my band didn't turn up and it was me dealing with all that. But I did realise after a while that because it was Edinburgh Fringe and some shows are so terrible, they genuinely thought my band wasn't turning up and it was a disaster. So I had to actually rewrite it so I was really performing. <laughs> and it not, in Australia, people loved it because I was really naturalistic, going through the naturalistically going through the disaster. Over there, they were like, oh, God, I've done it. I've walked into this show and it's, it's not happening. Anyway, 
I. But that's about trust, right? Even that thing about. Totally, I think yeah. that is the thing that I always take away from from the genre of stand up is that you've got to get your audience's trust within the first five or ten yes, minutes, and no they matter weren't what, whatever me. writing. And once you've got their trust, you can. You can let the whole thing fall yeah, apart. My acting was so good yeah, that they really didn't gotta, trust yeah, me. Yeah, you're too good at acting. So I had to kind of I've turn it on that. and do a bit more music theatre. Yeah. Things are going wrong. And um, and then they went, oh, this is the joke. She's not crazy. She's <laughs> acting. <laughs> um, but then I started seeing stand-up there, which I had never seen live before, um, and started to see how the stand-up comedians, all of them did this. They didn't start their material until about 10 minutes in and they literally were like uh, melting the audience's day away from them by just making little jokes of what you're wearing or being a little bit derogatory, but they're being derogatory to themselves as well. So gaining that trust, as you say. And um, I took that, completely rewrote the first 10 minutes of my show to take requests on the ukulele, which I could not play. And that just putting me on the back foot in front of them, they loved. And then the show just went bang, 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 and ended up getting like booked to tour to Poland and wow, Berlin and all the these. Yeah, market. yeah. <laughs> Which was a whole other experience where they really valued comedy over there. Um, that was a, a, it's a whole other big story. But at the end, you know, my in Australia, you know, you do comedy for me, and people would go, oh, you wrote that funny show, you're so good at that, but it's not anything more important to them other than you gave me a good time. In Poland I came off stage and that it went off. It was like a room of 500 people and they were like banging the floor, screaming at in Polish, like didn't understand anything that was going on, but went, oh, they liked it. And I was a little bit sort of self-deprecating afterwards and the festival director grabbed me by the shoulders and she was like, what you do is important. You make people happy. I'm like, okay, okay, I do, it's really important. Which was great, yeah. It's sort of it's a hard thing to pin down, but I think that's um, the the drama is seen as a harder pursuit, even though anyone who actually is in the biz knows that they are equally difficult to pursue and of equal importance. I don't think in Sydney we program joy and love in the main stage theatres at all. So when it happens, people's minds are blown. But I don't think. The ADs, as artistic directors, sit around and go, we need some joy and need some love. They know we want grit, we want a mirror, we want harder things. But I think joy and love is really important to give people. Well, you can tell at the yeah. end of your show when yeah. everyone's just frothing. Yeah. It's yeah. The audience is such a big part of that, which yeah. is similar to stand-up. Because yes. it's a relationship between the comic and the audience, and your show does that. Yeah. It's pretty special. It's really special. We had the same with the dog, the cat, which was like a rom-com on stage. You don't, and no, you never see rom-com on stage. It's relegated to music theatre. Well, it's funny you should say that. Susie Yusuf and I are currently writing a rom-com that will be on at the end of the oh, year. Yes. What are the dates? Oh, just uh, I don't know. Some point at the end of the year. <laughs> but I agree, though. That yeah, the the, uh, the idea that certain genres are you know they're in a pecking order. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it is kind of funny as somebody who also works as part of my life in terms of curating and programming. Like it's no mystery though. Comedies sell lots of tickets because people, yeah. um, you know, not not everyone is like us, kind of theatre nerds who studied theatre and kind of still holding on to this notion that we should all be doing like a Brechtian thing, where going to the theatre is the most sort of political and, and mobilising experience for the proletariat. And it's like no, no, people go to see all sorts of stuff, and uh, often people want to get a babysitter and spend seventy bucks and go and see something that is life affirmingly mm. joyous and funny. And um, but I think in terms of what the difference between stand-up is and theatre is, is an audience's expectations are in a theatre, 
that they're going to do more than just have a giggle. Whereas you can go and see a stand-up show and be like, great, really funny one-liners or a great little story about a poo in the toilet. That was excellent. I've had my 25 bucks worth. That was a good see, I'm part of my night. I'm stand-up, though, I reckon. Yeah. My expectations of stand-up are so hard. Yeah, well, Which yeah. makes me go like, you That's why I don't invite you to my shows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I watch it, if it's just a, you know, if the joke is... If it's a one to ten and it's only they're only hitting six and sevens, I am relentlessly unforgiving. Ten, 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 ten. <laughs> like as opposed to in theatre, I you know because other things are going on, I'll take their their bog standard average joke and go, oh, that was nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm really mean about stand up. Well, I think we'll That's learn why a I won't lot do it myself. about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am just constantly surprised by the audiences of of who love stand up because. It's just a mic and a person. Just, they've prepared those jokes at home, guys. <laughs> yeah, they've yeah. thought it through. They've tested them. They're pretending that they're telling it for the first time. And you're all buying it. And I'm like, give me something for my eyes. Do another character. Put a wig on. Do something. That's why I'm like shocked that people are like, theatre's boring. But there's always, you know... I think though Something stand up is stage. a gateway drug. To stand up is just like to the theatre. So what's the deal with my kids? Bad stand up is, but I think stand up is now everywhere, right? In the last fifteen years, yeah, like, stand, like stand up doesn't even really mean anything anymore, does it? Because people, the amount of people who access comedy, um, and the amount of artists who are kind of um, working between genres, and but what's fun about certain. Uh, being able to work in comedy is that you can blur the lines of what audiences are coming, and that's what's really excellent about. Um, yeah, about enticing a stand-up audience to come to the theatre to see a comedy show and be a bit uh, and and ask them to maybe um, play a bit more make-believe than they might do when they go and see um, a more regular kind of you know observational situation. Yeah, but or you can be programmed into the Brisbane Comedy Festival. Go on, hmm. and it's your first solo show, and you're playing a medieval teenage girl, and uh, the show can be completely sold out with. Turns out very judgmental Queenslanders. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you curtsy at the end, they don't clap. Okay. That can happen. Yes. I don't know where. I don't know when. Yeah. Let's just say 2000 and, I don't know, 13, 13 to me. Yeah. But. Uh, that's just one instance. That's though. just one instance. Yeah. Yeah. Lessons were learned. Yes. But that is, yeah, I, I am so nervous about ever booking something I do into a comedy festival for that reason. They are not com stand-up comedy audiences I don't write for. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not for their sense of humour. But yet my shows are comedy. I would prefer someone to be coming for a bigger experience and then they get comedy on the way and it delights them as opposed to comedy, where is it for comedy? <laughs> Give me the jokes. Yeah, yeah. I find that yeah. hard. Because, I mean, to me, Edinburgh, the Edinburgh audience was like that. Where are the jokes? Where's, where's yeah, the like it's been 35 seconds yeah. and you've not even tried to make me laugh. Yeah. But if you put your show in the theatre part of the programme, yeah, no one it'd comes. be... Oh, true. Because <laughs> <laughs> theatre is boring. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Uh, well, how are you making theatre not boring with Further in the Web, Nick? Well, it remains to be seen. <laughs> but, um, but, like, that isn't a play. That isn't a play any other playwright could have written, right, in terms of how you... Mm. It's not a proper, well-structured play, and it's not trying to do things I think plays are often trying to do, which is really delve into an idea and really investigate something and really uh, uh, show off the prowess of the playwright. 
Um, that's not what I want to do. I wanted, my dream is to do what you were saying, Sheridan, of creating something bigger than the sum of its parts. It's not just comedy, it's not just uh, like catharsis, it's, it's unexpected and it's surprising and it's uh, contingent on the, the audience of the day and uh, is also entertainment. I think that's something that's changed in my work growing up. Before I used to be like, sit down, and experience some unadulterated Nick oil. <laughs> and now it's like... I want that. Now, now, thank you. Now it's like, listen, I know you didn't have to come. I know theatre is a tiny audience. I know you work hard. I'm going to try really hard to give you a great night. And, uh, and I, I'm not going to succeed all the time, but that's, that's what I want to do. Because that's why I go to the theatre. Mm. Not, not to laugh or to cry, but to just to feel anything to feel connected to something magic. And the dates of my show are (laughs) 5th of October to the 17th of November. I've put on a billion plays, but this is actually the first time that another director has done it. Uh, So Ben Winsby is directing this show and I haven't worked with him in any capacity before and uh, he's been amazing and it's been amazing and now I can't imagine ever directing my own work again. Oh, that's interesting. Ooh. Why yeah. is that? Is it because the, the way they just see something beyond what you've put down? Yeah, they see something more, and also they're much more reverent of the work <laughs> yeah. than yeah. I am. I agree, yeah. When you're in it and have written it, and it's maybe you and one other person, you're, you're so much more quicker to not trust your material because you don't back yourself. Yeah. And Whereas when you they give it to some actors... It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, when I was directing my own stuff, I'd say, look, in this scene, this is the, it's all leading up to this moment. This is the kernel of the scene and this is what you should focus on. Everything else is kind of getting you there. But this process, Ben's been like, what, is, what's, what car are they in? What, what are their jobs? What are they, why are they saying this stupid line? And in my head, I'm just saying, it's just filler. But he's, <laughs> he's investigating and finding stuff that I could never have found and changing it, making it such a, like a, more 360 uh, immersive world for the actors to inhabit, which it's, it's been amazing to watch. Yeah, and then you have to sort of sit there with a poker face and nod as they say, oh, I didn't realise there was that much subtext yes. in that. And you go, that's yes, it. that's yes. it. I will always take there. You just I need will to take that it. credit. But I, have, I often have a section in the show where I don't know what will happen. <gasps> oh, that makes me feel sick. Well, it's the same as audience interaction. It you is, don't know what is. they're going to do. Yes. So there was one show where I would ask an audience member their name and then have to write a song on the spot, sing a song about that on the spot. And sometimes people were like, Why'd you, is that a friend of yours? Is that a plant? And sometimes it was just like, I can't rhyme anything with your name. I'm sorry. And everyone was like, what a bold, unfunny part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, oh. especially if you're doing the show a million times, I think it's yes. important to have a bit where you're like, scared. Yeah. Oh, see, I, no, it's That's a no great. for me because I have not come from a stand or improv world. The improv's yeah. not a thing. Always, like, rev, like where I, obviously, like, I'm not from around here, but like, I've been in Australia 10 years, but like, improv just was not part of anything mm. at all yeah, right. in the UK where I grew up, other than, I don't know, the closest was like the student reviews or whatever, but even those were scripted sketches. So I just never came, so it was kind of weird to move here and there's obviously quite a thriving improv scene in, in Sydney and whether you're fully part of it or whether that's kind of ingratiated into the kind of wider comedy of, of, of the scene. Like for me, it was just like, 
now, and I'm working with Susie, who's like a queen of improv, but I'm like, this is a play, Susie. We've written all the jokes. It's like, <laughs> please. And also, that's the thing for me. Respect my script. Yeah, and also, like, for me, even if something's going really well, I rarely ad lib because I'm much funnier if I've thought about it right. in advance, mm. days and weeks in advance, rather than like, I find that, I, mostly maybe because I just end up saying stupid things, but. Um, but I, so I have an immense amount of admiration for that, that like kind of yeah. improv yeah. skill. And I suppose in a way, like whenever you go to the theatre, often the bit that is the funniest, right, is yeah. when someone's oh, jacket wrong. falls off or the light goes out and you get that genuine connection in that moment that's when people's like, oh, I'm not watching a movie. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in this. I did a show, my meditation show, I asked the audience to write problems in their life and put them in a bucket and then halfway through... You are asking for trouble. I, <laughs> I answered that I solved their problems. Uh, while they're meditating and it's always hilarious but sometimes it's definitely not what do you do is there any element of improv or like uh, like that spontaneous thing that's going to be a hangover in then further in the web or yeah Yeah. they're going to have some free reign there's a few there's at least one bit where they they break the fourth wall oh cool i remember when i first started doing solo shows i couldn't look at the audience i would look above them or just blur my eyes and shake my head to it's, not see their faces. It's funny, I think I've come and the other I'm way. Like, I'm going to look directly into your eyes, madam. I'm going to see your soul. I think I've come the other way. I think I sort of grew up with like this unabashed self-confidence that I would even like get on a stage and start talking and would do a lot more kind of like house lights are on, how is everybody, sort of not improv, but sort of like, guys, this is a show. And you know, when you talked about preamble, I was all about the kind of kits and preamble of like 40 minutes, let me finish my cup of tea and then we'll like start. But now I'm like, I've kind of erased all of that and just like, nah, nah, you've come to hear what I've, like you've come to hear what I've done rather than hear me like, potter about and postulate um but yeah so i'm a bit more like oh cool it's great that you dropped that bottle but we will just keep going um but it took, yeah but it took a while to get there i think i write the start of my solo shows i always write a reason for the character to be nervous yes yeah being vulnerable it's just such a way in yeah same now that i think of it they're always a bit they're on the back foot there's some damage that they're mopping up and the audience has seen it and so you're in it together. Yeah. 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 And you need them to be on yeah. board of it. Yeah. The end of the the climax of my second solo show, which is called Double Tribute, uh, was um, the character performs a trailer for his this movie he's written, but he does it in a Kiwi accent, like a very racist Kiwi accent. Okay. And um, I've also vomited and I've got a nosebleed, so I'm covered in vomit and blood, and I'm just like, ladies and gentlemen, um, let's have a fantastic night at the movies, and doing a terrible New Zealand accent, and crowd goes wild. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Turns out, in the UK, there's no difference to the ear with an Australian and a New Zealand accent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how. One accent is very... How is Fush and Chirps the same? Don't look at me like that. Well, <laughs> your people are wrong. We are. So yeah, the first time I did it in London, I just... I come out like... Because there's no jokes. The only joke is that I'm New Zealand. Like, I'm... <laughs> it and is I'm, just a generalisation. Yeah, it's just a very brutal generalisation of a parody of a Kiwi accent. And uh, doing it in London, everyone's just like, oh... Well, the show certainly took a dark turn at the end, didn't it? <laughs> Why did he choose to do that? And 
I couldn't solve it. I couldn't. We'd had we'd made all the backing tracks and the visuals and everything, so I had to just do it fifty thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> just knowing, just knowing oh at the start of the show that no matter how well it's gone, the last five. The only I'm going to drop a name now, but the only time it paid off was I did it after Edinburgh in London, uh, and I was like, "Here we go, let's go." <laughs> to uh, Wellington and do this bit. And I did it and um, one man was laughing his butt off and it was Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> and I was like, you've made it all worthwhile. You've made it all worthwhile. Thank you so much. You've been in T-Stoke. So that's a joke that didn't translate. My only one really was with Songs to the Fallen. Like, she's such a... All the characters are real potty mouths and that... Is a is funny that there it's set in you know uh, 1847 and it's having this attempt of being like a um, you know a sort of um, a belle epoque beautiful romantic it's based on the Traviata you know so the idea is that it's the highbrow with this dirty fucking mouth they just they're still really prudish in America and it was like violence every swear word was a bit violent so we paired some of the the swearing back. But I do think there's a very naughty, cheeky flavour in Australian humour. Like they're trying to really skirt a line of being very naughty. I think to me that comes across in a lot of Aussie work. I think some of the most successful comedy comedians and comedy acts in the last five or ten years have been Australians, you know, and like winning the Foster's Comedy Award and Sam Simmons and other people who yeah. are... You know, you go and see a Sam Simmons show and you can see that at the Malt House in Melbourne or you can see it in the back of a pub in Soho. And, it, it you know, there's lots of people, you know, like Nick as well, who kind of make theatrical yeah. comedy, things that are It's not breaking saying. the form. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there is an appetite for that in a world that is inundated with white men talking about the price of pizza. It's like there's a real audience and an appetite who want to see ambitious, alternative, interesting comedy. And I think Australians and, and, and New Zealanders... Um, you know, having been here the 10 years I've been here, which is the bulk of when I've been making my own work, it, it, we, are, we do have an environment that is supportive of people making, um, you know, new and interesting ways to, to try and make people laugh, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's it. I think that's definitely it. I think, I think you've summed it up, but I'll, I'll add it. to it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's an irreverence for the form. Yeah. Is it? Because there isn't necessarily in Australia uh, an audience who've been... The same audience hasn't kind of been going to the theatre for 20 years or like that the audiences are a stand up. People who go to a stand up comedy room in the UK are not going to see um, things at those theatres in London. They might go and see the Book of Mormon or something yeah, or whatever. But I the think, you know, I think what we I don't know, I can only really speak about Sydney. But what I think we've been trying to do or has been happening in the last few years anyway, is that there's a bit of a fluidity of audience in terms of how people program things. But how people program things is only influenced by the work that's being made by the artists. Mm. And so I think that, you know, there are particularly, um, you know, comedy actors being cast in main stage theatre shows. But I think that, that, yeah, there's a bit of a confluence and a bit of a fluidity between what the artists are doing and what the audiences are, are coming to see. Is it because in Australia there is no clear pathway to the top that people head to the sides? with the form you know what I mean like in London America you know if you want to get into comedy you'd make your type five yeah. you try and get spots you work on, your way through and you try and get on TV yeah, yeah, yeah that that 
it's not. Well, exactly. You get to the comedy store. If you're good, you get to the comedy store in a year or two. But then where'd you go? Yeah. If you're a stand-up. And then if you do what the sorts of things that we do that are in a, more, a, bit, a bit more of a theatre context, like you Nick's got a play on this year, yeah. like we probably won't put another Nick Coyle play on for a while. because <laughs> <laughs> Because there's not enough stage space for writers, you know? And I think yeah. that, that is, yeah. there's a shelf life to things. But also what we unfortunately don't have in this country is the thing, if it goes bananas, the reason lots of people move to LA and London, obviously, yeah. is that, yeah, you've put 10 years, like in 10 years of hard labor into figuring out how to write jokes. You've nailed it. You've got your show that's brilliant. And it you runs can't for just keep, two weeks yeah, exactly. you can't just in do, an 80 can't, seat theatre. <laughs> you can't just keep doing Sydney Comedy Festival, Melbourne Comedy Festival. You've got to go and um, share what you've got with the world, which has been happening. And I think I'm always like really stoked whenever it's an Antipodean who, who wins a big award somewhere. I think that's, yeah. I think when you're overseas, people often say uh, Australian comedy is so weird. And I think it's just because for everything you just said, both of you, like people are just kind of doing more what they want rather than what they think they should as an avenue to get somewhere or they haven't been influenced by a structure that supports them. Mm. They're just like, I'm putting on another show. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Here, take my rent. Yeah. And I then they forged an identity that maybe is a bit mm. left field. Yeah, the thing I would love to see as an extension of that is then the, the great comedy writers that we know who are then, you know, and performers who are then end up on your TV screens. I, I, I would love to see that be better. Uh, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd love for ABC to kind of get out of the way of things and just let people come up with ideas for their own shows rather than sort of squeezing yeah. people, like squeezing amazing, you know, Yustine Roscopolises of the world, brilliant, brilliant performers and just putting them in bit parts of not funny shows that have been written. And um, mm. like, I, I, it'd be nice if, if the, in the TV world they could kind of get out of the way. And that's, wh that's why actually... Uh, I love theatre and comedy and making it because there's no one in there's no one in my way. There's no one telling me how I should write my show. I can write a forty minute show if I want to write. I can write a two hour show if I want to write. I can have uh, you know as many costume changes as I like. I can bring in people. You know I, all those decisions and you can rest change with it me. Every night. Yeah, exactly. And you can mix it up as you go. And I think that unfortunately, when when comedy then gets passed up the food chain to kind of TV, it dies miserably often through being manhandled by by sort of scriptwriters or producers yeah. who who are not. Um, and then com I'm screen comedy is in the edit, and you see it all the time. You go, that should have been funny. Yeah. I saw an interview with Tony Kushner, and he was saying that his opinion of the audience is it once everyone is together they're smarter there's a the the unification of a big group of people they become like a, a one entity smarter than the individual people so that's why you have to be ahead of them and also create something that is worthy of their intellect yeah and i've definitely been in rooms where uh the comedian has said something horrifying and the whole room laughs hysterically and it's a terrible terrible feeling but they're all bonded by hate in that moment. And that's, yeah. um, that's the opposite of what I want to do. Uh, I think um, you ha have to uh, punch up and you have to be mindful of diversity and uh, representation and uh, inclusivity. And also I'm, I'm, you know, I'm mindful that I have a platform as a, as a privileged, able-bodied, beautiful-bodied, uh, straight gay man. Um, I have. I'm privileged, and I and what I do is hard and um, challenging, and uh, not financially 
viable, but it's um, it's a privilege. So so I'm lucky. To purchase tickets to The Feather in the Web, currently playing at Griffin Theatre Company, head to www.griffintheatre.com.au. For more theatre podcasts and stories, head to the Prop website at www.the-prop.com.au.